AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, December 6th. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until... One o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your phone calls today in this hour at 1215-602-260-1060 is the number. Before we continue on, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started here with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is, who is the NFL MVP through 13 weeks Options being Tyreek Hill, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. And we've seen numerous changes throughout uh, the course of time here with this question. We now have Dak Prescott leading the way at 43% of the vote. Then you have Brock Purdy trailing at 35%. And Tyreek Hill pulling up the rear at 22%. Something I don't think Tyreek Hill does often with his speed pulling up the rear. He's usually a front runner. Uh, over on Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, and this will kind of talk tie into how we concluded our number one with our conversation. Should Caleb Williams still be the first overall pick of the 2024 NFL draft? No, leading the way at 53.8% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 46.2%. We'll officially provide our answer. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote over on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. We'll do that around 1230. But just briefly resetting things from our number one's final uh, segment here. And uh, talking about, you know, all the different positions of need for the Arizona Cardinals and kind of trying to figure out where they're going to finish in uh, the positioning standings for the NFL draft and how you're going to evaluate the the different positions, quarterback coming into the situation. Uh, Do you then just say, hey, we've seen enough from Kyler Murray here. Uh, He's had four games. He'll have five more. Have we seen enough here to say, hey, he can be somebody we can win with if we bolster up the rest of this roster? Or do you make the move? with your potential picks upcoming here uh, to go for someone that's coming in to the draft quarterback-wise? I would try to make the move, but only for Caleb Williams, quite frankly. I'm not a Drake May guy. Uh, Let's also see. It looks like Shadur Sanders is going to stay at Colorado for another year. Uh, At least that's, uh, I would assume, that if he were coming out, he would have already said something. Uh, so that's there, but, uh, so I would, uh, but Williams is the only guy I would actually, you know, without, without any hesitation, you know, draft and move on from Kyler. If I could find somebody to take a salary for next year. Uh, yeah, salary is certainly going to be an, an area of uh, concern for, for Kyler Murray. Um, I guess the other question here from the Kayla Williams side of things is that there has been a lot, and we don't really know how true or untrue it is about these weird demands, et cetera. Uh, so has any of that been a detriment to how you evaluate him and his upcoming NFL tenure? 
Uh, for me, no. Um, like I said, you mentioned uh, we don't know how accurate some of these things are. Some of them seem kind of crazy. In fact, I quit paying attention to them uh, uh, several weeks ago, quite frankly, because uh, there was some stuff out there in September, and I just kind of whatever. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to believe what I'm not. Just as far as on-field play, uh, I don't think it was really all that much different, quite frankly. Uh, I didn't see anything from him other than the Notre Dame game, which obviously was bad. So he had one really bad game in two years. Uh, that didn't go well. But his offensive line was significantly worse this past year than it was in his Heisman Trophy season. His receivers weren't as good. He lost his running back this year, the best running back for part of the season because of injury. And their defense was actually worse than it was a year ago. So they were chasing points with far more frequency. But as far as his skill level, I see nothing different. Uh, I think he's a, you know, one of the most talented college quarterbacks in many ways that I've ever seen. And I, you know, I, don't, I try to not to exaggerate and oversay things and whatever. That's the same thing, I guess. Exaggerate and oversay, but to overstate my case. But he is a tremendous, talented multi-talented run and pass college quarterback who I think trans translates perfectly to this day and age of the NFL. It's interesting though, because where things kind of shake out, uh, you know, let's say uh, some of the different scenarios that Robin Mesa was talking about in our number one for the bears, if they do end up getting that number one overall pick likely from the Panthers there and they decide not to take Caleb Williams and he starts falling down in the draft and the Cardinals find themselves then in a position to get him, uh, you know, this would be another potential quarterback that would fall uh, to them in that particular situation. Well, if the, if the Bears don't take Ryan Poles, they should try to throw him into Lake Michigan when it's as cold as humanly possible, uh, which might be this Sunday, actually, because it's supposed to be in the 20s, wind chill and snow and rain for the for the Bears and Lions game this week. So if uh, they're thinking that, maybe after the game they can just you know, usher him into Lake Michigan. Uh, that would be the dumb – the Bears have been many dumb things over the years. Not, part of this is ownership. It's not Ryan Poles or whoever the general manager at the time is. You know, they've had, you know, the same ownership and, you know, for the most part and, you know, a lot of the same leadership and decision makers, uh, quote, unquote, uh, for a while. And uh, they've made a lot of really stupid decisions for a lot of years running. And uh, if they don't take Caleb Williams, if they have the first pick of the draft, this uh, – I think it would be hard for me to imagine that they've made a dumber decision in their history. Uh, we'll table the NFL conversation here for now. And, of course, those two poll questions uh, will be answered around 1230. Your phone calls around 1215 today, 602-260-1060. Let's get into the Suns game from last night. Uh, they lost to the Lakers 106-103. to It was the in-season tournament quarterfinal game. So the Suns have been eliminated here, and the Lakers are moving on to uh, the two games in Las Vegas. LeBron James, though. Uh, 40 minutes last night, 31 points, 12 of 25, eight rebounds, 11 assists, along with five steals. Anthony Davis added in 27 points on 10 of 26, 15 rebounds and two blocks. 
As for the Suns side of things here, Kevin Durant, incredibly efficient, 31 points, 12 of 17, seven boards, four assists. As for Booker, 21 points, six of 16, 11 rebounds, six assists, and seven turnovers. And when you look at this Suns game, they had to claw their way back to get into this thing. Uh, differential. 49.3% field goal percentage for the Suns to the Lakers, 37.3% field goal percentage. So the advantage to the Suns, but it was miscues. 20 turnovers for the Suns to the Lakers, just nine turnovers. And the Suns had just eight offensive rebounds to the Lakers, 21 offensive boards. Well, as I said for many years, I mean, you know, I don't care about field goal percentage, you know, field goal attempts and, uh, you know, differential and field goal attempts is, uh, to me, a really big deal in the NBA and really all of basketball, but even more in the NBA. The Suns had those turnovers. They had 20. They had 10 in the first quarter. And according to the TNT broadcast, that's the most that any NBA team has had in a first quarter this season. Uh, Booker, who should not be a point guard, as we've mentioned, but he has to be out of necessity because there's no point guard in their roster on what I think is a poorly constructed team. He had five of his game-high seven turnovers during that first quarter. Also, they got destroyed on the glass. Not just you look at the overall stats, they didn't. uh, But if you just look at the the second-chance points, the the Lakers had a 19-10 edge in that. And... uh, if you combine the uh, the, the twenty the, t- combine the turnovers and the and the, the uh, second chance points, the Lakers had twenty seven more field goal attempts than the Lakers did in this game. I understand there was the controversial ending to things with uh, you know Reeves kind of losing the ball there, but a timeout was granted to the Lakers, so you could certainly pinpoint that, focus in on that if you wanted to. Uh, but I think here the story is really the turnovers and the uh, you know offensive differential rebounding things. And the turnovers, though, have been a consistent issue here in the first couple of months of the season. That's what happens when you don't have a point guard, which I said before the season started, and I've not watched every second of every game so far. But, yeah, Booker is a finisher and a scorer and not a point guard. The other thing that we'll have to monitor here is obviously Kevin Durant had a great game, but there were a couple of different things that happened to him. He took a shot to the knee. He also kind of rolled his ankle a little bit and was grabbing that. Uh, He finished the game, so we'll just have to see if there's any swelling and prevents him from uh, any if there's any missed time there for Kevin Durant from yesterday's contest. Yeah, hopefully not, but obviously he's had an injury history towards the end of his career here, and uh, something we pointed out when he was traded, uh, when they acquired him in the trade from uh, from uh, Brooklyn, and I was not in favor of that trade at the time, and and uh, yeah, until there's a parade route here, I'm probably not going to change my mind. I like Durant as a player, obviously have for many years, which I've stated on this, uh, this show and during the sports zone for – you know, better part of a decade. Actually, I remember watching him play for the first time live. He was a freshman at Texas, and they played a game. Uh, I forgot who was against. Maybe Gonzaga uh, downtown, uh, the uh, Suns Arena. And uh, I knew who he was before then, but, you know, I, I went, whoa, <laughs> he's better than I heard he was. <laughs> and uh, he's obviously turned into one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. Uh, but, you know, I just think that, as I mentioned just a couple of seconds ago, 
I just think that this is a poorly constructed roster, and I'm not buying into the that if they're all healthy, they're going to win the NBA championship. They don't rebound, and they don't have a point guard. Yeah, certainly Nurkic has been inconsistent at best so far uh, when you just kind of look at, at that particular positioning on well, the floor. Yeah, he had foul problems last night. He had two fouls before, like, the first television timeout. I actually think he's played better than I anticipated. Now, you know, unfortunately, he's, you know, you know to my recollection and from the people I talked to in Portland when the trade was made with Aiton, uh, he's, you know, him being consistent from the start of the season to the end of the season seemingly has not exactly occurred on a frequent basis. So, but he needs help. Uh, they've just got too many guys that do similar things and, you know, their bench once again, you know, they had, they got off to a nice, a decent start last night. As soon as their bench entered the game, they got blown away for a while and they were basically chasing that lead for the rest of the first half. And when they played their bench less in the second half, even when a couple of those guys were in there, there was obviously a big drop-off from the Suns. And it's not like the Lakers have the most deep. They've got some injuries. They had guys that weren't even playing. It's not like the Lakers have the uh, deep most depth in the NBA, but it was certainly uh, the depth issue. Uh, we, you know, also hurt the Suns last night again. But I will say that I was pleasantly surprised how entertained I was in the game. I thought it was a really well-played, for the most part, uh, regular season game in the month of December. Uh, unfortunately, it means absolutely nothing once we get to the real tournament, which starts in, in you know, obviously in April. To your point about that, uh, I seem to see quotes from the Lakers side of things, especially LeBron and, and maybe even Anthony Davis there, just about how this in-season tournament thing and this particular game uh, just means more. So that's why the high level of play was on display. Well, they were, undefe- they were undefeated in the tournament, right? I, mean, I believe they and also Milwaukee didn't lose a game in the in-season tournament to this point. Uh, speaking of the in-season tournament here, so because the Suns are out, uh, they will play the Kings, who also lost uh, on Monday. Uh, so they'll play on Friday here in Phoenix. That'll be a 7 p.m. start for that game. For the Suns, when you're just trying to figure out what do these games mean, not mean, how do they account for things, yesterday's contest against the Lakers and Friday's game against the Kings will count toward the 82-game regular season standings. And then I had something here. I I obviously wasn't uh, part of the show yesterday, but your question about do you care about this NBA in-season tournament thing I think if they're going to continue forward with this NBA in-season tournament, uh, they're going to need to make some adjustments because from an eyeball standpoint here, you cannot be going up against the NFL. Uh, Looking at Monday Night Football, you had 16.445 million people watching the game across the ABC, ESPN, and ESPN2 platforms. And then the first game of these in-season quarterfinal games where the, the rest of the NBA was off. So these were isolated games. The Celtics and the Pacers, 1.063 million. And then the late game, the Pelicans and the Kings at just 741,000. Yeah, and also when we had the poll question yesterday, the last time we updated, uh, are you in favor of the in-season tournament was roughly the question. I don't remember the exact wording, but that was the question. It was 100% no. They weren't interested. Wow. 
Um, I, I wonder if interest changes at all if somehow this in-season tournament and the the standings and, and how it all finishes out has any sort of, um, you know, impact to what happens in April, getting into the playoffs, if that changes anything, or if certain NBA fans just find all of that to just become too gimmicky. Uh, I'm just kind of curious what the, the viewpoint of that is and how you can make the regular season have more importance. I just don't know how you can possibly have some kind of gimmick to make it mean anything once we get to the playoffs because you know, they still got you know roughly 60 games in the season. So what's the gimmick for the next 60 games? Yeah, I'm not sure, um, especially thinking as well, you know, when they tried to make uh, the records and in baseball and the all-star game have importance for World Series home field advantage, and then they decided oh, to that, scrap that. That was like the, dumb, that was the <laughs> dumbest thing of all time. So yeah, that was you – know, this is close to – this might be second, but that was a – that will never be surpassed in my opinion. <laughs> You know, it's just uh, it's it's just unfortunate that the regular season has become what it has become, uh, and it does seem though that the players, for whatever motivation they have, that all of a sudden we've attached the name tournament to it, makes that competitive juices flow more. I've heard you know Damian Lillard be on record saying you know the extra money for the guys on some some two way contracts for the guys that are 11 and 12 on the on the roster there that means a lot. So that gets him motivated to play hard, so those guys can earn some extra cash. Uh, so the players at least have seem to buy in but if the audience isn't it's not working well this is not anything new that the regular season's a complete waste of time this literally has been going on since i've been watching the nba since the 60s the 1960s not the 1860s but the 1960s and the regular season frequently meant nothing then and it has not changed do you think it's a perception thing because we've now and what I mean by that is we've now entered into the the world where we can watch all 82 games of the Suns that maybe before, you know, early on, you got to sit down and hope that they were on national television. So therefore, you were a little bit more excited because it wasn't oversaturated. It was this is the one game I get to see of the regular season. So you're right. Standings wise, maybe it didn't mean as much, but we had more excitement to sit down and watch the games. Not for me, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, saturation-wise, I understand that point. But, you know, as I mentioned, and I could go, you know, if I wanted to do the research on this, which I really don't want to do, I can go back to games, you know, years in the 60s where teams in the regular season won a whole bunch of games, and once it started the matter in the postseason, they got eliminated quickly. Uh, well, you know, a good example here locally, obviously, the Suns a couple years ago won 60-some games, and they were out in the second round. That was disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah, disappointing is a kind word. Um, frustrating, or uh, you know, whatever word you'd like to use, which is far more harsh than that. Uh, it was uh, it was not good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But it's you know, because it hit here locally. I think it maybe people maybe don't realize that that's happened in many teams over the years no matter how good those teams were in the regular season yeah playoffs are a whole different deal 
602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll take your calls now. Talk to you on the other side of the break as the extra point rolls on on this Wednesday, December 6th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. 602-260-1060 is the number. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point on this Wednesday, December 6th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Still a little bit of time if you'd like to join the program in this segment Give us a call, 602-260-1060. One note in the NFL that I'm seeing, as I know, Bob, you were sitting on pins and needles for an entire week as this team was on their bye. Who is going to be the starting quarterback? Well, the Vikings have officially announced it from head coach Kevin O'Connell that it's going to be Josh Dobbs starting for the Vikings on Sunday when they play the Raiders. I think it's interesting that, you know, they had a week. Uh, if he, they were totally in it on Dobbs after that horrible, you know, horrible Monday night game. Was that Monday night? Whatever the hell night that was, primetime game against the Bears. Uh, you know, they had plenty of time to consider. If they, they were totally in, they would have just said right after that game that he's our guy. And they waited more than a week to make that public decision on that, at least publicly announced that that's their, their decision. Yeah, and, you know, it, it... I guess, one, what does that mean about um, the BYU quarterback, Hall? Uh, what does it mean for, for him? Do they just really not think think enough of him or because they make the trade for Josh Dobbs that they feel like maybe some of those uh, situations that occurred to him were a little fluky versus uh, all on him? Well, I don't really think this is anything against Hall. Um, you know, he wasn't considered to be a you know, you know, high draft pick anyway. He was a good quarterback at BYU. I think he's more of a developmental guy. Uh, I actually liked him at BYU. He certainly has some skills, and ASU fans will remember his skills in one particular game that they played in Provo a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago now. Uh, but there's that. And uh, I forgot who – there was a veteran quarterback that was also in the mix here. I'm trying to find my notes on Minnesota, and I'm not finding them very quickly. I apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, it was a you know, guy that's been around a little bit that has started some in the NFL. It was, like, supposedly between those three guys, at least as a week ago. It's why there was no decision, and uh, they've uh, made a decision. And Was uh, it Nick know, Mullins? I, that, that's him. Very okay. nice. Thank you very much. Um, and who actually had you know, some decent moments in San Francisco, but uh, you know, you wonder how much of that was Shanahan and, and so forth. But you know, I can actually make a case that you know, Nick Mullen might have been just as good as you know, my man Jimmy G, uh, who obviously I didn't think was very good ever in San Francisco, or I should rephrase, not as good as he should have been in San Francisco. And I think that's uh, my opinion on that has been validated with Brock Purdy's emergence in San Francisco. We'll stick with football, but head into the world of college football for the Pac-12, uh, the final year of these you know, conference awards. Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year goes to Bo Nix from Oregon, 4,145 yards for him, 40 touchdowns, three interceptions. Are you good with him winning Offensive Player of the Year for the conference? 
Yeah, I don't think there was, there was another choice. I got, yeah, panics really faded statistically, certainly uh, after September. And, uh, you know, they, they, I know they won the championship game, and panics clearly outplayed them last Friday night in the conference championship game. But based on the body of work during the season, uh, you know, the, the only argument for Penix is that they obviously played a much more difficult schedule and beat teams that were better than Oregon did. Uh, but, you know, just based on that regular, if you had, you know, that's voted before the game last Friday night. So I can't imagine that you would go any other way. Uh, defensive player of the year went to Leatu Latu from UCLA. 13 sacks, two forced fumbles, yeah. two interceptions. And right now he is currently being graded uh, as a round one selection in some NFL mock drafts. Yeah, I think this is the definition of no-brainer. I'll just stop there. <laughs> Offensive freshman of the year went to Noah Fafita, U of A, 2,515 yards, 23 touchdowns, five interceptions. He became the starter uh, in late September. Yeah. So, you know, once again, how is he not the starter to begin the season is mystifying. Uh, I don't know anything about this player here. Defensive freshman of the year went to Cade Yulvavi from Cal. Linebacker, 30 tackles, two and a half sacks, two interceptions, two forced fumbles. Can't say I watched a whole lot of Cal football this year. I watched too much. Um, You know, they were on defense a lot. They gave up a bunch of points a lot. Uh, He made a lot of tackles because they were on the field a lot. Uh, so yeah, that's you, sometimes how these these awards go. So I really don't know who the other candidates were, quite frankly. Uh, but you know, you know, any stats from defense on a team that didn't play great defense, I think, are a little uh, a little confusing. Let's put it that way. And coach of the year, to absolutely no surprise, goes to Kalen DeBoer from Washington, uh, undefeated, and they're in the CFP. That should speak for itself. Well, and I'm once again, I'm assuming the voting is before last Friday night. So, you know, clearly they're a better team than a year ago when, uh, you know, they end up, uh, you know, only losing a couple of games, but they also had a very easy schedule last year compared to this year. And uh, you know, not just uh, the fact that they're now in the CFP, but I can certainly understand why he would be the choice for the coach of the year based on those other things. The Heisman finalists here, uh, you have Jaden Daniels, 72.2% completion percentage, 3,812 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, 1,134 rushing yards, and 10 touchdowns. Now, these numbers are obviously pretty eye-popping here. Do you believe that wins should also factor into this and should uh, wins and losses versus what the quality of opponent is factor into this? I'm not positive. Normally I would say yes for sure, but I'm not exactly sure how the wording for the Heisman Trophy goes because uh, they've been really foolish over the years and not given me a vote for the Heisman Trophy, which I think that I watch enough college football and I know people that actually have voted for the Heisman Trophy over the years that I think I'm far more qualified than they are. Uh, and that's not necessarily a knock on them. It just seems like it's kind of a, uh, you know, in some cases, there's guys that, you know, I knew guys in Las Vegas that don't hardly ever watch college football, but they used to be, you know, 20 years before college football announcers or whatever. So I'm, I'm not sure how they actually come up with the panel who votes for it. 
and I've never actually seen a list of the criteria of what you're supposed to be voting for. Uh, next up here, a Heisman finalist is Marvin Harrison Jr., 67 catches, 1,211 yards, 15 touchdowns, and hey, look at that, it's not a quarterback. Well, I'm actually surprised he's been invited. I guess they decided they, they, don't, always, they don't always have four guys there uh, for the final vote. So uh, after you know, it wasn't all his fault that they lost the Michigan game, but he did have he had a couple of drops in that game, which did not exactly help matters. Uh, but you know, if he was going to be a Heisman Trophy winner, he was going to have to have a lights out performance against Michigan, by far the best defense that Ohio State faced. Bo Nix, uh, we touched on him a bit as Offensive Player of the Year for the Pac-12. Uh, he also, in addition to his 77.7% completion percentage, 4,145 yards, 40 touchdowns, three picks, he had 228 rushing yards and six touchdowns uh, for Bo Nix. And then Michael Penix Jr., 65.7% completion percentage, 4,218 yards, 33 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I don't have the numbers in front of me as far as what the splits were, but obviously his uh, his numbers were much better early in the season uh, when they just blew out a bunch of opponents, and you know, and, you know, some of those opponents were pretty good. Uh, so it wasn't uh, all against. Uh, wasn't like the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> as we were talking about in the last hour, as far as the the Cowboys, uh, you know, home numbers and road numbers and so forth. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, I actually asked David Kenyon from Bleacher Report when we had him on Monday during the Sports Zone. Uh, did did basically Bo Nix lose the Heisman Trophy with that performance on Friday night against Washington? And he thought yes. And I think a lot of people think that's when he lost the Heisman Trophy. We'll officially know on Saturday. Uh, that's a Saturday ESPN Heisman Trophy ceremony at 6 p.m. Uh, for for that. Up next, it's poll question time. KDOS1060.com as well as the Twitter poll question at KDOSAM1060. So still a few minutes left for you to cast your vote. And we'll dive into it here on the other side of the break. It is the extra point on KDOSAM1060 online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS1060 app, there's still time to get yourself entered to win the Hoops Contest over on the KDOS 1060 app. Download the app, register. That's a key component to this thing. To make sure you register and then you are entered in as a potential winner for some pretty sweet hoops tickets. That's all through the KDOS 1060 app. Poll questions, they're coming up on the other side of the break. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. On this Wednesday, December 6th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Time to officially answer today's poll questions, and we'll get things going with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who is the NFL MVP through 13 weeks of the season? Tyreek Hill, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy are the choices. 
Okay, Brock Purdy right now should be the NFL MVP. Uh, yeah, I've spent years, including the last segment, criticizing Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he cost the 49ers at least one Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he also cost them at least a, you know a playoff game before they got to the Super Bowl. Uh, but you know, certainly there's the same cast of characters for the most part. Uh, with McCaffrey now a full-time guy, uh, with uh, the 49ers added. But the, the, the difference between you know, Purdy and Garoppolo is enormous. Uh, you know, Purdy's accurate passing and the fact that he hits receivers in stride, that was my biggest criticism, maybe my big, the absolutely number one biggest criticism uh, when I was uh, you know, criticizing Jimmy G over the years. Uh, how many times would we actually see him throw a pass to a receiver who was wide open and breaking open and he didn't have to hit him in stride, and the receiver just had to stop to catch the ball. That almost never happens with Purdy. He's accurate. Guys are in stride when they catch the ball. They don't have to stop to catch the ball and then start to run again. Uh, so he's been amazing. He's also been really he's really stepped up in the easy wins they've had this year against the Cowboys and the Eagles. Dak Prescott has excelled against bad opponents. I need to see him be a good team. Then we're going to see that opportunity. We went through the Cowboys schedule for the next four games starting this week uh, against uh, Philadelphia. So we'll get that. He'll get that opportunity. Uh, Tyreek Hill uh, is on pace to break the all-time record for most passing yards per game in a season. But however, Hill and his team have seldom dominated against elite opponents the last couple of years now. So uh, to me, he's a distant third here is this the, of these three choices. Uh, but you know, that's kind of how I break it down. And I could, this is actually pretty easy for me to break this down. Uh, well, to your point about uh, being distant in the choices, that's also reflective in the odds with uh, Dak Prescott plus 300, Brock Purdy plus 300. Brock Purdy had a huge ascension in the odds, though, after Sunday's game against the Eagles. And then Tyreek Hill sitting at 15 to 1 uh, for the odds. Currently, that was how it was on the FanDuel Sportsbook app this morning. Uh, Tyreek Hill, he's obviously unbelievable. He's fast. He gets open. Uh, he is like, I think I saw second or third in the NFL in dropped passes this year so far. Uh, but he is a true game changer. Get the ball to him. Let him do the rest. Um, it, it's hard, though, with him, too, because uh, the team has not won against teams that are above 500. And if you look at, uh, you know, specifically playing against his former team in the Chiefs in Germany, they were able to kind of uh, bracket him and, and limit his ability and touches. When when teams seem to want to leave him in man-to-man -man situations, he just torches sure. everybody. So maybe don't do that. Um, but you can't argue with these numbers here. He's on pace for just unbelievable numbers. 93 catches, 1,481 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Uh, very, very fun to watch that Dolphins offense when they are rolling. Dak Prescott, to your point, I need to see how Dak does um, with the Cowboys in some of these upcoming games because they are – um, since that 49ers loss early on in the season, they play the schedule that's in front of them, and they've been absolutely dominating some teams. He's been doing a great job of taking care of the football. He's also been doing a pretty good job at times of, of when he needs to run, he runs, etc. What stands out in my mind, though, is that 
Eagles game in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, and you kind of had some confusion there at the end, and it didn't work out for them in the red zone when they had an opportunity to get a victory in Philly. So I'm curious to see how all of this is going to unfold when they do play the Eagles here this Sunday, have the Bills, the Dolphins, the Lions, and Commanders to round out the season. But uh if he does have some good games, I think that absolutely catapults him forward. As for Brock Purdy, you mentioned it. He's just so efficient, and he's absolutely the right quarterback for the right situation and the right offense, and the skill set and the players are are all there to make this offense go. Uh, the run after the catch ability for all those players, because Brock is putting it in the right position, is so paramount here. He distributes it perfectly uh, to be able to have those opportunities. I guess for me, what kind of gives me some pause is that we saw what happened when Trent Williams wasn't available and we saw what happened when Debo Samuel wasn't available. And so that makes me, at the current juncture, say Dak. Okay, I can buy that. In a case for Dak can be the, you know, the game that they had here against the Cardinals. He was without three starting offensive linemen in that game. Uh, so... Yeah, I really don't blame him at all for that Philadelphia loss. Actually, I thought he was really good at that game and gave them a chance to win that game. The masses are on the Dak side of things, which is crazy because to start the sports zone, he had 0% of the vote. Now he's winning things here at 12.47 p.m. Uh, Dak Prescott, 40% of the vote. Brock Purdy sitting at 36% and Tyreek Hill at 24% of the vote. That is the KDOS1060.com poll question. Flipping it on over to Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, should Caleb Williams still be the first overall pick of the 2024 NFL draft? Um, I would really like to be able to pick somebody's brain about him playing within the structure of an offense and some of these off-schedule plays that we have come to know from him, uh, especially in his Heisman year last year, and just how spectacular all of that was but how does that translate or not translate to the nfl when you have edge rushers who are bearing down on you that are faster bigger stronger you have guys that uh the windows for being open in the nfl are different than the windows being open in college so i'm just kind of curious to 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 pick someone's brain about watching that film and saying yes this can be a dynamic ability that uh transcends into the nfl or some of that is going to be slowed down a little bit just by the nature of the the talent differential from league to league um then I just truly do not know. We, there's just been so much stuff thrown out there, and I can't say it's true or not true. Uh, some of the extracurricular talk about him, what he wants, what he doesn't want. Um, I, I will just say, though, at times, and this is also true, I don't know him. It's just me you know, observing from the outside. Uh, when, things, when the things get tough, when the going gets tough, how is he uh, as somebody that's going to get back to work? How is he somebody that is going to motivate the team? How is he going to be in those situations coming from a winning environment? We saw some of the uh, losses pile up with USC this season, and then you're going to be going to a tough situation if you are the number one overall pick. So how are you at handling all of that, handling some losses, dealing with that? Because that's a whole other thing. When you're used to being on top and now you're still working hard and you're not seeing the outcome be successful how do you mentally handle all of that 
I don't have the answer to that question, but I don't think there – there's no reason in my mind that he should not be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, he, I think he's actually going to be a better NBA, uh, NBA NFL player than he uh, uh, has been in college because he most likely, even if the bad team isn't going to be chasing points all the time, which he was doing this past season at, UC, uh, at uh, USC, he makes all the throws. I don't think there's any doubt about that. His running ability uh, also, uh, I think, would drive NFL teams crazy on defensive coordinators that go nuts. This notion that Drake May should be drafted first is just absurd to me. Uh, May in North Carolina faded badly in November the last two years, and his good games were mostly against bad defenses. And you can just look up the numbers. The best defenses that uh, you know, May has faced the last two years in North Carolina the best defenses were some of his worst games, and a couple of them were really bad games. Uh, yeah, I don't think I actually answered the question there after I had my profound question. Uh, I'm with you here. that I'm just not certain there's there's enough positive from Drake May to say it shouldn't be Caleb Williams in that particular set of circumstances because you ride with the athletic gifts and the game-changing talent, right? Yeah, I'll just add one more thing. I mean, Drake May throws a nice ball. He's tall. You know, he's got all the attributes that NFL quarterbacks are supposed to have as far as height and you know, throwing ability, as far as arm strength and all that. But I've never really understood what the automatic fascination is that he should be the first pick of the draft and, uh, or first or even second pick of the draft. I'm not in favor usually of taking a wide receiver, uh, number two, because somebody has to get that guy the ball in the uh, in the NFL or college or whatever. But I would actually take Marvin Harrison ahead of long, of long. I wouldn't even think twice about taking Harrison ahead of Drake May. The masses are on the no side of things here at 57.1% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 42.9%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Possibly a question for another day. It just popped into my head here. You know, quarterbacks are the position they get paid the most in the NFL. They touch the ball every time they're on offense. Uh, they're paramount to the success of a team. And we've seen now this trend where teams are really chasing to find their next franchise quarterback. One, you have the ability to win now if you have a really solid rookie first, second year, third year guy because of the contract flexibility. So if you can do that, then you set yourself up for everything else after that. Do you think we've kind of gotten to a point, though, because of that positional need and that value that's being placed on it, that some teams are kind of chasing and that maybe somebody who's not a first round talent is going in those situations because you don't want to get left behind? Yeah, I just don't know any wide receivers and running backs have turned around franchises quickly like some quarterbacks have. Final segment on the other side. Extra point with local and national topics, betting lines, and banter. Weekdays 10 to noon on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and the KTUS 1060 app. Wrapping things up on this Wednesday, December 6th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, and it's that time once again, Bob. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, 
A Philadelphia Eagles update in the preview of Sunday's game against the Cowboys. Dave Zangaro joined us from NBC Sports Philadelphia. On Thursday, we'll preview. Actually, let's rephrase that. We will find out. Sorry, Kayla here, but how have the Patriots gotten this bad uh, with Chris, Christopher Price from the Boston Globe as we preview uh, at some point we'll get to a preview of the Patriots and Steelers game on Thursday night, a game in which the total is as low as 29 and a half a couple of places in Las Vegas right now. Whew. Okay, that'll be fun to watch. Uh, sound of the day courtesy of Fox, ESPN, and also 3TV. Special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Next from new, uh, 1 to 3 o'clock, it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5. The Sports 2 with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. And then NAU Men's Basketball is taking on Abilene Christian today. 5.30 p.m. pregame. You can hear it over on KAZG 1440. Then simulcasting on KAZG 1440 and right here on KDOS AM 1060 is the 6 o'clock tip. Mitch Stroman on the call. Uh, so it seems like Major League Baseball, right, is kind of at a standstill because everyone's waiting for Otani news. And it seems like there's been plenty of teams that have been linked to him with the Dodgers, the Blue Jays, the Giants, and then surprisingly the Angels still in the mix. Uh, yeah, I don't believe the Angels part of this. And the Mariners have been mentioned, but, you know, that's been going on for a while since the All-Star game was there a few years ago. And obviously, you know, there's a large uh, you know, Asian population in Seattle in addition. So that's all made sense. Uh, so we'll see. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about the, the baseball situation and the winter meetings uh, with Bob Nightingale from USA Today on Friday's show, uh, Friday Sports Zone at 1015. That's right. Uh, the official trade that has been made, though, Red Sox traded outfielder Alex Verdugo to the Yankees for three pitching prospects. Uh, yeah. It's the- Tucson, Tucson kid, Mr. Verdugo. Yeah, that's right. This is only the seventh deal ever between these two teams since 1972. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned seldom. I didn't look it up. I mentioned seldom in the sports zone that uh, a rare deal, a rare, easy for easy for me to say, rare deal. Okay, there we go, uh, between those two teams. But uh, Verdugo is an okay player. I don't think he's a big difference maker. And uh, this is certainly not the end of the Yankees in the offseason. This is not the deal for the Yankees. The final SEC game on CBS between Alabama and Georgia averaged 17.519 million viewers. It was the most watched conference championship game on any network in the last five years. It peaked at 22.35 million, and it was the second most watched game all season long behind Ohio State and Michigan. That'll do it for this Wednesday, December 6th edition of Extra Point. Talk to you tomorrow.